rock and rule. Good band, hot music. The best of times. It could have lasted forever. Forces of music, magic, and technology collide, bringing you head to head with a beast from another dimension. The Beauty, songs by Deborah Harry. The Beast, songs by Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. The Beat, songs by Cheap Trick and Earth, Wind and Fire. came from the 80s the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool i'm your host farron and today i'm joined by someone who when he sings will summon forth a demon to destroy us all my name is adam thanks a lot <laughs> i actually like that song oh but, god uh, really i do i i genuinely like it my name who is hurt mark. You? thanks a lot my name is mark thanks a lot i know you love the thing of god You've never seen the likes of me Why I'm the biggest thing since I'm your boy, big girl It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not a good song, but I like it anyway. Um, so we are doing the cult classic. I'm not sure which cult, but some cult. The cult classic Rock and Rule. And this movie premiered on the 24th of July, 1987. It was directed by Clive Smith, and it was written by Patrick Lubert, Peter Sauter, Anne Bork. Uh, sorry, Anna. Uh, Greg, <laughs> Anna something. Greg Duffel, Larry Mullen, Deanne Stillman, with additional dialogue by David Young. And yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's getting there. That's actually more than... Um, than Dungeon Master. Everybody say it with me now. Yeah. The more writers there are, the, the worse the scripting film. is. Yeah. <laughs> and it stars Don Franks, who played Mock. Thanks a lot. Greg Salata, who played Omar. And Susan Roman, who played Angel. And this was rated PG. Normally, I wouldn't talk about the music, but here's who did the music. Cheap Trick, Eggy Pop, Debbie Harris from Blondie, and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. That, that's, that's quite the lineup. Yeah, musically, uh, this is... It's a hell of a film. It's, yeah, musically, it's a hell of a film. Lyrically, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. But We'll get to that, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was made by a Canadian studio called Nelvana. They did a ton of work for the CBC in the 70s. They did the animated uh, section of the Star Wars Holiday Special, which introduced Boba Fett. They've done a bunch of holiday specials. They did Inspector Gadget, which was a wonderful cartoon. Uh, Care Bears and Strawberry Shortcake. They also did the Star Wars cartoon series, Droids and Ewoks. Stepping softly in a stage zone. No weapon in my hand. It's just this phrase designed by fans. Got me Oh, did they? Yeah. Have you ever seen those? 
I haven't actually sat down and watched them, but I'm aware of them. Yeah, I had the DVDs years ago. I actually wound up giving them to a friend who had kids. But uh, Droids was neat because it took place. Uh, it, it was sort of meant to be the lead up to the original Star Wars movies. And each, I think it was each season or each half a season was sort of this ongoing story of them being attached to a, a character and the adventures they experienced. Mm-hmm. And Ewoks was just about, I, I think it was meant to take place after the victory because you never see the the imperials on the planet so or maybe it's way before but it was just when they were kids cartoons but they're good yeah so this movie uh made eight million or sorry cost eight million dollars and we have an exact profit on this one it made wow thirty thousand three hundred and seventy nine dollars i'm sorry thirty thousand thirty thousand three hundred seventy nine for eight that is million yeah, so they made back 0.38% of its budget at the box office. Now, here's where this gets fun. Here's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's have fun with math. The average movie ticket in 1987 was $6.50. Okay. Because there was outrage when Cineplex Odeon Theaters raised their price from 6 to six fifty. So $6.50 divided into $30,379 means... That 4,674 people saw this movie in theaters. <laughs> wow. wow, that's unreal. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. It's amazing that so few people saw this movie just based on the musical lineup. Like, yeah. you attach Iggy Pop to something, and you'd think that would pull a crowd, but... And maybe it's just that there was, I mean, July of 87... Summer of '87. That's blockbuster time, and maybe they just couldn't get any traction. Maybe they that's just fair. Couldn't theaters. Um, yeah. I saw it on CBC actually, and it was kind of an outrage because this this cartoon's not really meant for kids. Like it's pretty risque. There's some mm-hmm. swearing in it. There's a lot of almost nudity, a lot of side boob, and mm-hmm. you know butt shots and 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 stuff like that. So many butts. You know, and it's like, I don't think it's gross. I don't think it's over the top. I don't think it's lewd. It's just, it yeah. is what it is. You know what it reminds me of? It's like someone, it's like Nelvana saw a lot of um, album covers and decided to make a movie out of it. Yeah. That's it's, the feeling you get. I, I agree. It's this weird mix between that Nelvana animation style that we all mm-hmm. know. It's that like mutated rat yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, character design meets like... Um, like anvil yeah it's 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 the side of a you know the side of a van or something uh the side of a you know the side of a van someone's painted the panel van but uh Mm -hmm. uh i actually like the i I don't like the character design but i love the design of the world Uh, yes actually world absolutely 100 percent agree with you you know it was a little risque and so cbc took a lot of shit for showing it as early as it did Mm -hmm. you know the pearl clutching mothers of america sort of groups uh Mm -hmm. freaked out about it and cbc apologized and it's like whatever these days you still probably wouldn't show it especially early but because it's not into the problem is is that everyone assumes that if it's if it's animated it must be for kids no Mm -hmm. i think they were kind of going for a cheap version of the heavy metal uh movie yeah which yeah. of course is based on the heavy metal uh, sci-fi uh, magazine, uh, which was very much always like heavy metal meets mm-hmm. sci-fi, you know, and this is very much that, but you know, I saw it on CBC and I remember it was a big deal because it was on like at eight o'clock because that was, you know, oh. they didn't want to show it. Yeah. Ooh. Hey, you know, I mean, at grade seven, I was in, well, I would have been, that was the summer before I started grade seven. In fact. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't a wee little child or something, but at the same time, I was, you know, I recognized that, hey, this is on a little later. There must be something a little more mature about it. And I remember, you know, the, the part where you see the two of them in the car and it's clear they're either about to or have just had sex, one or the yeah. other. And I'm thinking like, wow, I've never seen this in a cartoon before. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I was sort of beyond cartoons, but I watched it. And I, I dug it at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of forgot about it. And then when we were sort of when I was thinking of movies to do for this podcast, I thought this would be a different one to do. Because it's yeah. pretty obscure. But uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I really enjoyed it. What about you? Had you ever even heard of this before I suggested it? No, before you suggested this, I had, I had never heard of it. Um, truth be told, I, I watched the first time, oh gosh, probably about a month ago now when you first suggested it. Um, yeah. And I don't know if I was just in um, 
in a crummy mood that day or what <laughs> i just i hated this movie the first time really? i watched it okay. yeah um i there was a lot of things that i liked about it but overall i just i really disliked it i disliked um uh the dialogue i disliked a lot of the voice acting i disliked uh the character design i just uh, just so many different things all piled together and i guess i was just in a bad mood but That's i okay. rewatched it this morning and i 100 percent agree with you i love the world building of this I love the music. I don't love the lyrics. I love the music. Maybe that's just because the lyrics are delivered by voice actors. But yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I, I think Debbie Harris from Blondie, I think she did the singing for Angel. I think that would make sense because I was going to say that Angel's songs are, are the best sounding ones lyrically. But you know, what, what will the signal be? I think is the, you know, the song yeah. she does. I like it. I like that song. Maybe it's just I like the sound of that song. Yeah, I mean it's very power ballad and um oh yeah like it's is very of its era but it is it is an objectively a pretty decent song. It's not something I'd probably download and listen to on repeat but No. But overall, like I would I'd be way more interested in seeing like uh, a short serial series set in this world, maybe not with this same animation style. But like, <laughs> yeah. I think that it's a, a cool setting. I like the like you've got Nuke York and Ohm Town and you've got, yeah. um, oh, what the hell is the the Volkswagen instead of yeah. a Volkswagen? Yeah, like, I, I do like the world. I like the movie. I think it's yeah. good. It's just weird. For whatever reason, I thought I would love to see a live action remake of this film. Okay, you need to go and just, just sit down, son, <laughs> sir, please. I'm all giddy because of the news this morning. Yes. So, yeah, for yeah, our listeners, especially yeah. the ones who hate us when we complain about Trump, uh, it's uh, it's uh, Saturday the 7th, it's 11, 18 a.m., and about two hours ago, we got the news that they called the election. And uh, I'm pretty pleased about that, so... <laughs> I'm a little giddy today, but you know, it's funny. I had the same reaction to the film you did. I watched it, you know, a few weeks ago when we first talked about this and I actually gave up. Oh, really? I gave up, um, just after they arrived in, in New York city, I just got bored and moved on. And I thought, whatever, when we get closer, I'll, I'll finish watching it. And then the, and it was, I just, I found it boring. I didn't like the dialogue. I just wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. And then I watched it this morning and I loved it. And I'm not sure what the difference is. Maybe just I had to be, you just have to be the right mood for this, I think. Yeah. Like, it's not the sort of film you watch to cheer yourself up. Not that it's gloomy or anything. It's just, it's the sort of film you have to be open to. And yeah. there are plenty of films like that. Uh, and, and I don't, tr I try not to hold it against a film that, you know, not every film is there to just turn on no matter what mood you are. Because mm -hmm. quite often that means the film has no real impact on you. Yeah. Or it's so saccharine. You know, like it wouldn't matter what mood you were on. Oh, I'll watch uh, a Marvel superhero movie. Okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be in the right mood. Like a horror film, you have to be in a particular mood to want to watch a film like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and same with this one. I think you just got to be, you got to be sort of in a chill mood. I think, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Forgiving mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this tonally, this movie is very weird. It does a yep. lot of tonal jumps. Like, there's a point in it where you think, oh, this is a movie that's sort of directed to, say, like 60 and 17 year olds, and mm -hmm. it's very cool. It's about rock and roll music. And then also, it might be directed at like a church youth group that would show this for some of its older group. Like, ah, oh, these are the evils of the devil yeah. because it's oh, very, they hit it right on the nose. They're going to oh, use rock God. and roll to summon Satan. Yeah. <laughs> rock and roll summons Satan. There's a bunch of times where everybody's getting high. There's a drug dealer in the nightclub who's just yeah. losing his mind. Like it's, yeah. there's so many, so many points in this movie where it's evil, that, yeah, satanic it's, yeah. panic. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be, um, that's got to be part of why they did it. It's like, oh, they think rock and roll is all about Satan anyway. Fuck it. Let's make this about Satan. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so in your face. There's no way the writers didn't do that to make the, like I said, the pearl clutching mothers of America clutch mm -hmm. their pearls. You know, I, yeah. I, I appreciate the, the, the subtle, the not so subtle fuck you that the, <laughs> no. uh, the movie gives to those groups. I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, like I said, totally weird. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the characters are, I actually like Mock. I thought he was very interesting because he's such a freak show, but I get a kick out of him because mm. in some ways he reminds me of a sort of like an end stage uh, Michael Jackson. But of course, when this was made, Michael Jackson was still normal. <laughs> well, just the face, like the way that the face is, is so carved. Okay. Way, okay. I see. You know, but, uh, you know, because he's a sort of this over the hill rocker, right? Yes. And, but, uh, you know, who's sort of created a, uh, an image of himself, which is bullshit. And it's almost to the point where he's the magic is kind of gone. Uh, no, no pun intended. <laughs> like he's uh, because he's a magician. Like he's he's all about the the uh, the stagecraft. Mm-hmm. He is Mock, and, the magic man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know he, he comes off as an interesting character. Angel, I thought was fine. She's not much mm-hmm. of a character. Uh, Omar, no. I can't stand. I, I despised yeah. him as a character from the and and he didn't get better. No. Like there's no development of this character. He doesn't improve. He's still a prick. The he other character right thing at the end out of self necessity, basically. Yeah, to he, yeah. does it to, he does it to survive and to save her. The rest of the band I could care less about. Yep. I certainly didn't like the triplets. You know the roller yep. skating freak shows. I didn't care about them. I didn't care about uh, Mylar, nope. the uh, the promoter at Mylar's club. He's useless. Like there's the only two characters. Like. I would like to have seen way more of Mock versus Angel, them mm-hmm. back and forth, um, because there was something there. But, you know, it's a ki- it was a sort of kid's cartoon, a teenager's cartoon, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, they were going for something in particular. But again, I would actually like to see this remade, but it'll never happen. No, God, no. Uh, there's, you know, there's just um, so many other things you could do, though. I mean, Hollywood's so unoriginal. Who the hell knows? Yeah, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I agree with you. I think that Mock, like, he does you never really get exactly why he's trying to summon this demon and that's the whole plot of the movie is he's trying to summon yeah, a yeah. demon well um, i think it's about him he realizes he's slipping and so this is a how he gets back up on top and b how he takes revenge on everyone who doubted that he couldn't stay on top forever mm-hmm. I, I think mean, that's what this is it, it very well could be it also it it also kind of comes off as just like the evil for evil's sake plot a little bit, um, why is yeah. he doing this? Because he is bad. Yeah, well, yeah, it's uh, ego, right? Like he's, yeah. he, he, what more can he do to show how amazing he is? Well, he can destroy the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, there's that, but there's one, one scene in particular that we'll get to later on where it's, um, it's probably the most ret- introspective scene of the film where one of the triplets is watching, um, Uncle Uncle Mikey, yeah, Uncle yeah, Mikey, yeah. the the cartoon, and he asks Mock, "Are we evil?" And yeah. I feel like there was so much more that could have been gone into with him and Mock and Angel, um, and and yeah. really explored that ideology. But they, again, they this threw, is a threw it out, yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a pseudo children's cartoon, so yeah. there's, yeah. there's not much we can expect out of that. <laughs> no. Okay, so shall we jump in? Oh, let's go just neck deep into this. Yeah, baby. Um, so it starts off with, uh, a, a text crawl, you know, it says another time in another place. The funny thing is they never really tell you what that time and place is, though. It's very clear. This is post-apocalyptic. Yeah. That this is after a nuclear war. I'm honestly not sure whether the characters are meant to be sort of animals that have evolved into humanoids or whether humanoids have mutated. I don't know which it is because so many of them look like pigs or dogs mm-hmm. or like Omar nice. looks like a dog. Like Omar looks like a dog with the nose I, and the ears. Yeah, I I think that this whole thing kind of comes from like this the animating style. Like like we mentioned yeah. earlier, it was yeah. just that was it. I don't know if there was more that went into it. It's hard from to tell. The yeah. Side. Yeah, it it is hard to tell. But either in any case, it's obviously clearly well in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've obviously rebuilt themselves as a society. It it very much. Play, I get the, it feels like the dirty 70s in New York. Yep. Uh, except that the cars are hover cars. Um, there's little things like that. But other than that, it seems like the mode, you know, the biggest mode of transport between uh, cities seems to be uh, dirigible, you know, like a, like a blimp. Mm-hmm. At least that's how Mock does it. But it's hard to tell. Is that because he's Mock and he's awesome? Or is just that, is that the way it's done? It's hard to tell. Um, yeah. You know, you really don't get into much of the like the serious world building until you get to New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get there. So essentially, it tells us right off the bat that Mock, this legendary superstar, has moved to a place called Ohm Town, O-H-M, which mm-hmm. is like a, an electrical term, I believe. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's neat because if you look at Omtown when they show it from above, it looks like a circuit board. Yeah. And Omtown's got some weird, super powerful power plant, which they just sort of mention offhand and they don't really talk about to the end of the film, which I liked. And he has this idea in his head that he is he's encountered something called the Armageddon key, which they they show you a representation on the computer what it is, and it's just a bunch of wavy lines. Well, but kind they never like a Mobius strip, doesn't it? Yeah, but they never explain is it a physical thing somewhere or is mm. is this it? Like whatever it is, he's decided he wants to open a portal to into another dimension and summon forth a demon. And it's very clear he's a devil worshiper, like he's a Satanist. And again, this is very much the writers giving the finger to the pearl clutching <laughs> mothers of America. And he needs one last thing. He needs uh a voice and he's not being shy about this. Like he's not saying why he needs the voice, but he's just returned home from this worldwide tour searching for the voice and there is no luck. And so as you know, his people are sort of unloading his baggage back in his mansion. He says, there's one more thing. We're going to Mylar's club, which is this shitty little club in the city. Uh, there's one more voice we need to listen to. Um, and so off he goes, he has a conversation with his, computer voice which is like this ai and the ai is there essentially to tell us the plot that's really yeah. what it is yeah it's a it's uh, a plot dump yeah and then we're in mylar's and we're looking and it's just this, you know some ratty little club where you know star you know singers and bands hope to be discovered and we go backstage and we see omar and angel and their band which has two other players that has a, a stretch and dizzy dizzy yes yeah one of them, I think, is one of them's the drummer, and I don't even know what the other one plays, whatever. Dizzy's um, the drummer, and I think stretches the bassist? I don't know. I'm not even sure. And, you know, there's, the, there's this argument because they only get to do one song, and it's always Omar's songs, and, and Angel really wants to do one of hers. But Omar's a dick. Like, he really is just a dick. Yeah. He's this too cool for school. He doesn't care about anything because that would make him uncool. He's yeah. that kind of prick, and he just doesn't want to hear about it. Uh, we're introduced to Dizzy and Stretch playing a video game, which, uh, again, that is very much a, you know, video games will rot your brain and hypnotize you sort of pearl-clutching Mothers of America propaganda. And that's literally what Dizzy and Stretch are doing, playing mm -hmm. video games, and it turns them into zombies. It's kind of funny, like... <laughs> oh, oh, no! Magnetic force is slowing down my brain. Help. You see it in the eyes, and it's it's kind of funny. They go on the stage, and the act before them is coming off. And did you notice who he looked like? That yes. Group? Yeah, it's um, uh, David Bowie in his mm. Ziggy. Was it Ziggy Stardust? Is that Ziggy Stardust? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he's got the lightning bolt across his face, done with makeup, and it's yeah, and it's like it's, four yeah. of them. It's like clones or something marching off the stage, and Mylar takes a shot of them. Is like I also like the sound of cats dying or something like that. Cats being boiled alive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And. Uh, then they introduce Omar and his band, and it's a bad song. Like, it's a really bad song. It's just a screaming 80s hard rock shit. It's a bad song, you know. to raise hell or some shit like that yeah um, i don't even know who sang it i mean it's obviously maybe it was cheap trick i don't maybe. know maybe um, it sounds about right it would be yeah. something that like a bad cheap trick knockoff band would play yeah um, um and, and like it, it's yeah it feels like it's just um it's not even a, a it, i guess at the end of the day it's just an attempt to show the other song being so much better by comparison yeah, yeah, and and Angel being better by comparison. Yeah. The song is so bad that Mylar actually cuts them off and closes the curtain. Uh, and it's funny because when he cuts them off, Omar realizes it, and he just goes back to singing, and he looks like a douchebag doing it. Mm -hmm. But then he threatens Mylar, so Mylar says, okay, I'll let you play again. And he says, same, you know, and Omar says, same song, and Angel says, no. And clearly the band's on her side, but they start singing this song, What's the Signal, or whatever it is. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a power ballad love song. It's... It's as 80s as can be. It's as 80s as her hair. Yep. <laughs> uh, because that's some 80s hair she's got going there. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is a yellow waterfall coming off the top of her head. Yep. And in the meantime, Mock is in the audience. And he's sort of, he's hidden in shadow. We still haven't seen him. Yeah. We see his eyes. 
and we see sort of shadows of him. We've heard his voice, but we haven't actually seen his face. And Mylar goes over to him, tries to kiss his ass. And one thing we, we forgot to mention is that Mock has a ring, and it's essentially a sensor that the computer, his computer has explained to him. If the ring is exposed to the voice, the one they need, it'll beep or flash or whatever. And this will be, this will shock you, but Angel has this voice. Yes. Also, Angel has a keytar. I think that's very valid that we should mention that. Oh, she has a keytar. That's about as 80s as you get, too, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, Mock realizes that Angel's the one and uh, drives off. That's sort of it. In the meantime, Omar gets bitchy and storms off because he doesn't like the idea that Angel sang a song for him, but he finds her. And it's just like this really stilted dialogue. Like you were good. You were good. It's like, okay, badass. you know, like it's meant to sort of portray he's a prick and he's bitter and he's selfish. And this is the best he could manage to, to compliment Angel. Yeah. But it just, it came off very stilted and I just like, okay, Omar, but she loves him. So she forgives him. Talk about an abusive relationship. eh? Jesus. Yes, like the guy is just so one-dimensional. He's just angsty and angry and wants it to be about him. That's the word, angsty. That's the one I was looking for, yeah. Yeah, and just, he's he's got nothing. Yeah. Uh, Angel, Angel doesn't have a whole lot more, but at least she's got something. Well, she's got a singing voice. Like, this is the sort <laughs> of band that figure. this is the band that is instantly successful the minute they get rid of Omar. Yeah. You know? In the meantime, all is forgiven and they wander off to, I think they call it Thunder Rift. It's whatever, it's makeout point is really what it yeah. is. And just in case you aren't sure, in case that isn't driven home, the first car we see on the edge of this cliff is rocking <laughs> away. You know, yeah. uh, you know what's, this, what's, what's the old saying? If this van is, is rocking, don't come knocking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, okay. It, it's, um, just a, it's just about as blatant as they can be just to drive home the point that these two people are in a relationship. Yes, and they are having sex in a cartoon. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, <clears throat> I mean, their, their vehicle's not particularly rocking because when it pans over to the car they're in, it's up on bricks. Yeah, it's just a damaged old whatever. <laughs> uh, in the meantime... They're talking, and obviously she's very happy. And then one of uh, Mock's goons finds them yes. and hands hands a card that says, "Will you come over for a spell?" Signed Mock. And mm-hmm. instantly Omar is unimpressed. Like he's he's working so hard at showing that he's unimpressed. It's a little nauseating. Yeah, Again, it's it, it's over the top. It is. That's exactly yeah. it. It's it's so much. It's just so blatant and in your face and it just gets obnoxious and annoying uh, there's he doesn't give a reason for why he doesn't like mock i actually no that's not true he does kind of give a reason he seems to think that mock is is a sellout because he's a stage magician who also plays music and that's why he's popular is the is the magic part of it yeah and, and um, that's it maybe that's it but you know what would have made his his angsty bullshit palatable Mm. If Mock had said, if you spend half as much time focusing on your talent as you do trying to stick your nose up at me, maybe you'd get somewhere. Like if he said yeah. something like that, like if he just threw it back in his face and then Omar sort of got over himself, maybe then there'd be some redemption for the character. Mm-hmm. But there isn't. No, Omar just sits there and whines and complains and hates Mock for the simple fact that Mock is more successful and he thinks he's a sellout. Yeah, and, and and he figures if he shows that he's not impressed, he has power over Mock. Mm-hmm. And and immediately we cut to the next night where they're all you know the whole band is driving to see Mock, and he's being you know he's sort of sneering about it, and he says, "Oh, I'm going to wait in the car." So they knock on the door, and immediately Omar's there, and he's talking to uh, the these twins. They're actually twi- they're they're triplets, but we see only two of them, and they're these big thugs on for whatever reason roller skates. <laughs> yeah, and oh, they're dumb. Like it's yeah. it's that kind. Like this is like Looney Tunes level. How do you make someone sound stupid? Yeah. And Omar appears. Mock, how you doing? I'm so glad to see you. And then the other twin comes up. Oh, you must be Mock. Hey, Mock, how you doing? Like it's again. It's so over the top, and there's no mm-hmm. comeuppance for it. Eventually, they're dragged off to some waiting area, which again, it's a really cool looking. You remember, you know, in uh, the Millennium Falcon, there's that circular bench with the table yep. in the center. It's like that, just much larger. Mm-hmm. And it's like their audio visual center. And Mock makes this wild magic entrance. 
And again, it's all stagecraft because Mock has brought Angel over. Obviously, he wants her voice, but he can't even imagine just being a normal human being or normal, whatever they are for his guests. It's all a production. And so he says to Angel, let's go and talk. And then he gives, well, he gets, he gives the others drugs. Yeah. What is it called? An Edison ball, which is like this glowing ball that gets them high. Yeah. It's Uh, basically a stand in for a joint. Uh, I don't think it's intended to be because later on, in fact, during the Uncle Mikey scene, remember, Mock smokes a joint. Oh, that's right. You're right. So this is just sort of an electronic thing that makes you high. Mock wants these people distracted. Mm-hmm. So that he sort of gets them high with this electronic light strobing effect, and then he makes them watch actually his old rock videos. Look, Slazy. These ones are still watching old holograms. Yeah, I think their brains are seized up. Triumph of the glory, triumph of the glory of me. Triumph, triumph of the glory, the power and the glory that is me. Triumph. Uh, except for one of them, the, the drummer, or whichever one, the fatter of the two dr- uh, bandmates sort of sneaks off. Mm. In the meantime, Mock takes Angel out to his his garden. And it's funny because you see him as they're talking, when she isn't looking, he pushes aside a bush and hits a button. And then we see that Mock's people are at the controls of like an audio visual setup. Like they're in the lighting booth and he starts teleporting here and flashes a light there. And of course, what we realize is he's putting on a show for angel to present himself as someone who truly is a magician who can truly do magic. And it's very much, you know, sort of back and forth. He is, he is in essence trying to, well, seduce her. Yeah. But, not for sex, not anything like that. It's just, I have an opportunity for you to sing, but you got to leave the band. And she immediately says, no, like she's, she's sort of taken away by him. Like she's sort of wooed by him for like all of 30 seconds. Yeah. But the minute he says, you have to abandon your friends, you have to leave the band. She says, nope, I won't even consider it. Mm-hmm. And that's more character than, than I would have expected in something this two dimensional. Yeah. You'd, you'd almost expect that it would be a, another hypnosis thing. And she would just, go and then it would be up to the band to save her but she is the character with a brain in this she is yeah, what she, makes this not an idiot plot yeah and she's she's not an 80s girl she's the strongest uh, character in this fi- in this film uh she in fact sorry go ahead she she'll wind up being captured uh forced to do things against her will but she's still a strong character she's she doesn't fall into those tropes of being an 80s girl who needs rescue in fact she is the one who does the rescuing yeah, and in fact, she's she's always fighting. In fact, mm-hmm. to get her away from the band, he has to render her unconscious. I forget how yeah. he does it. I think he's, he uses like magic or something. And then they sort of dump the band in their car, and you know they're high as hell, except for the fat guy who'd sort of escaped but is grabbed. And she says, "Well, where's Angel? Well, she's going with Mock to New York City." And that's when we realize that Mock's mansion is actually a hangar for yeah. this really cool looking dirigible. And off they go to New York City. Nuke York City. Nuke York uh, City, yes. Yeah. You know, no one buys this idea that, oh, Angel has just decided to up and go and not even say goodbye. Like, no one believes that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's fine. It's as good as mm. it's as good a plot as any, I guess. I mean, Omar uh, pretty well buys it. He he thinks that she's up and abandoned them. It's the other guys who, yeah. um, who think that there's something else going on here. Because the only reason Omar wants to go after her, at least the only reason that he says is that he wants an explanation for why she abandoned them. Yeah, the truth of the matter is he's nothing without he's nothing without her. Um, yeah. yeah, like he's again, he's a dick. Like this is what's so frustrating. He's just a dick. Mm-hmm. And every time he speaks, he's a dick. And every time he acts, he's a dick. Omar and them, they head back to the city, but because they're high as shit, they crash the car and they realize they need a car to go to New York, New York City, which is a three day drive. I'm trying to figure out where that puts hometown. Three well, it depends three on days. how far or how fast the car can travel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's hard to estimate, but I would put it somewhere in Michigan. That'd be my guess. Probably somewhere ah, near the Great Lakes. It's hard to tell because sure. it drives through so much desert. Yeah. Um, Which but, is, uh, you know, notably present at the northeastern end of the United States. After a nuclear war, you never know. But uh, <laughs> and that's Fair. the thing, right? They, they 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 do a good job of building the the culture, but not quite as much as nerds like us would like, mm-hmm. or nerds like me. In any case, anyway, they steal a cop car. Yeah, is really what it comes down to. There's some hijinks with the cop, and it's mostly Omar being an asshole long enough to steal the cop car. And they drive to New York City, and it is kind of neat because at one point they come out of this weird underground bridge that comes out of the side of a mountain, and the bridge itself is a force field. That was a mm-hmm. cool little detail. 
I, I was going to say, I think that they did some of the best world building in this whole thing when nobody's talking, when nobody's really doing anything. It's just showing off what's around them. Yeah, yeah. Like when you drive towards New York City, you, you sort of see the wreckage and there's it's clear that they haven't quite cleaned up this world from the wreckage from the before time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see a lot of burned out vehicles on the road. Uh, of course, it is all desert leading up to New York City. And obviously, New York State is 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 forest. Uh, and so it's like it's clear, you know, things were bad, uh, yeah. but they've sort of they've sort of put themselves back together. And when they, it's interesting, they arrive in New York City and New York City has a barricade before you can get in and it's being controlled by the army. And they point out there's a power outage, no one in and out. And they get in essentially by getting arrested. And then you start to see New York City. And, and this is the first actual confirmation that you are in, you are on earth, which is they show the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. It's not a parody of New York City. It's New York City after a nuclear attack. And it looks like it, like the buildings, like the skyscrapers are still there, but it's what you would expect to happen if it had, you know, the city had sort of survived a nuclear war. Uh, and the city is, it's gross. It's very toxic, quite clearly. But Carnegie is, Carnegie Hall is, is, is that what it's called? Carnegie Hall? Carnegie. It's, it's well, Carnage Hall. Well, they, yeah, like they mispronounce it. Yeah. But the actual place is Carnegie Hall, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, the, it's supposed to be Carnegie Hall, but it's spelled Carnage Hall. Yeah. And they and some people call it Carnegie. Like it's clear. It's, it's sort of like uh, the episode of the original Star Trek where they, they find the the Coombs and the Yangs, the mm, communists yeah. and the Yankees. And, you know, they read from the holy document, Ni Pleb Nisida, which is we the people. And yeah. it's it's that sort of thing. But it's clear like this is sort of Nuke York City has carried on as a uh, as a hub. And he is in New York City because he's going to hold this concert where they'll summon the demon, blah, blah, blah. And I guess his reasoning is it has you know, the most reliable power, which, of course, we know immediately it does not because power's out in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, Mock has – I'm not even sure where he's held up. I think it's in uh, – it's in uh, actually, I think it's in Carnegie Hall or it's near Carnegie Hall. Because Maybe. he's got like – yeah, because he's got um, – because he throws Angel in – like he, I think he locks her in a – in a backstage room where they meet the thug's sister, Cinderella. Yeah. Who isn't wearing so much of a short skirt as she's wearing a belt. Yeah. Uh, so we get to see her underwear and we get to see the heart with wings tattoo on her ass. Um, and she breaks Angel out so they can go partying. And it's weird because Cinderella doesn't realize that Angel is a prisoner. Like she's smarter than the boys, but she's still pretty dense. Yeah. And she says, oh, you're Mock's new girl. Oh, okay. Well, let's go. I escape every Saturday night uh, and go partying. Come with me. And that's what they literally, that's what they do. They go to, they go to a club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, they bust out through the, the air vents and then start crawling yeah. their way out of the building. In the meantime, the band has gotten together with the aunt of one of the band members hmm. who points out, well, I happen to know that, uh, you know, this girl, I know Cinderella, her brothers work for mock and every night she goes to this club, you could probably find angel that way. So they go to the club. It's interesting because while this is happening, mock who is dressed like some weird ass evil genius, yeah. whatever rubber suit with goggles. It's a very cool look, but it's very much what would a out of this world, famous and rich rock star dress as if he thought he was being an evil scientist. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, this is very much Keith Richards if he went off the deep end further than he already has. Yeah, uh, uh, into <laughs> science instead of drugs. But yeah. yeah, or both. Or both, yeah. Well, considering how long he's been alive, I'm not sure he doesn't have an evil genius somewhere keeping him going. But I'm convinced uh, that Keith Richards has been on strings for the last 15 years. It's, it's quite possible. <laughs> uh, but it's neat because while uh, Mock is talking to his computer, of course, there's the main voice, the one who's assisting him with this project to like, summon a demon. There are at least three other AIs that he speaks to his promotional department, his legal team and his accountant and their AIs. So it's interesting that he doesn't trust a real person to do anything important for him. Like he's got these skate are these uh, roller skating thugs who are like his driver and his, his, his muscle, but he doesn't to do anything serious. He uses an artificially intelligent computer and several of them. In fact, well, that's uh, actually something that we should note is, is the main AI is not, 
that artificial. Like you can see a shot of it at 40 minutes and 30 seconds. It's actually a giant brain. Is it? 40 minutes and 30 seconds, you say? Yeah. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Yes! You're right. It's some big, weird-looking... You know what it is? I don't think it's meant to be a human brain. I think it's meant to be something he grew. Mm. Like, it's an yeah. artificial brain. That's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 maybe I just blanked that out before, uh, like so much of this film. <laughs> it's it's um, pretty horrifying to look at. Yeah, oh, it's, it's gross. Uh, thankfully, you only see it for a bit. But yeah, that's, that's fucking horrific. In the meantime, we get to the club, and this club looks like a 1980s disco club post-apocalyptic like there's there's a drug dealer there who's going around with essentially a bucket of drugs uh the women are as scantily clad as you could get away with and still be pg which is to say they hide the nipples and that's enough um for the most part yeah there's there's a few points where they're drawn they're just under the shirt (laughs) yeah and um oh yeah like they these women are anatomically correct this is not a disney picture and i didn't have a problem with that like it's it's meant to be weird like i again i get the impression this is like a disco uh, at one point, like, of course, they're all looking for, uh, you know, they're all hunting for this winged heart tattoo that they've been told Cinderella has. And one guy, he starts ch- ch- trying to see under the trench coat of one of the dancers and the, da- the trench coated guy flashes him. It's really funny. Like, yeah. And eventually they do find Cinderella and they do spot Angel. But I don't think anything actually comes of it. Uh, th- no, because Angel, uh, she gets found by her brothers because there was an informant who was getting tattooed Cinderella's while the boys right. were there. That's right. Cinderella uh, takes off, and I think she takes. Angel well, I think, well, I think Cinderella, Cinderella's brothers come for her, mm-hmm. and drag the two of them back. Yeah, because the oh, next yeah. scene is the next scene is the uh, is the concert, and it's interesting. Um, actually, no, the next scene is the band, which has been captured, and now they're being suspended in this weird force field bubble thing where they're being tortured. And Mox says, okay, you can do this thing for me or I'm going to kill them. Oh, wait, hang on. That's um, that's actually skipping that totally awesome scene with uh, Omar being super jealous of the fact that uh, Angel is now working with Mock. And uh, Mock has called in one of his operatives named What's-Her-Face, who apparently can adopt the guise of anybody else. Oh, okay. I must have missed that. Maybe I was. Oh, that's right. And there's also the little bit where they're wandering, where he's trying to follow them through the fog, mm-hmm. and they encounter the police, the fog patrol. Yeah. So again, that's a little cute little bit of world building that the fog is toxic, mm-hmm. and when it rolls in, the police have to clear the roads or clear the yeah. streets for safety. And they're all like, it's one of these things. If this were a city in an MMO, I'd be spending a lot of time in the city just checking it out. Yeah, it's super fascinating. Um, um, the, the only other thing I wanted to note was actually about the, the art design of the nightclub, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, animated films and cartoons in the eighties and nineties, you saw a lot of this, um, design where things didn't line up perfectly in the background. Like people yeah. were in places that they shouldn't be for inexplicable reasons, just to kind of fill up space. Yeah. They, they actually get an excuse for that by calling this an anti-gravity club. So when you see people yeah, upside down right. in the back. It makes perfect sense in situ. Yeah, and they and yeah. It, it, another thing about the club is you can't see the floor. You can see yeah. the lights on the floor, but the floor itself is pitch black. Mm-hmm. And it creates this. It create maybe that's why it's called the anti gravity club, or part of the reason it's called the anti gravity club is you can't see the floor. That's probably uh, but, it. Yeah. But yeah, like the whole thing though, it's it's a very psychedelic scene, mostly because a, most of these characters are high as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the people in the club are too. Again, very seventies disco. It is a cool looking club. I, I like it that it's. So much of this film, it's like these people are trying to mimic the world before the war. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing their best, but they're doing it badly. And that's kind of neat. It's sort of like this shambling. For whatever reason, all I can think of is the beginning of the 80s movie Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, where you've got this mother ape that's dragging around the corpse of her son because she doesn't want to give it up, which sounds weird. I'm reminded of that here. It's like the society that can't let go of the fact that it's been nuked into oblivion. And so they're sort of like, it's like this shambling corpse of them trying to mimic what they once were by holding on to New York City, by -hmm. trying to hold on to the styles and the way things are done. But they can't quite pull it off because they're surrounded by wreckage. Right. It's one of the most interesting and distinct post-apocalyptic societies I've ever seen depicted. Yeah, uh, and, and the nightclub is part of that. They go to the nightclub because it's fun, but they're trying to mimic the world of the 70s, the 1970s, with the drugs and the shit like that, and they're almost pulling it off. But their world doesn't work well. 
their world is still broken. It makes for an interesting look. I agree. I very much agree. I think that that's probably one of the most endearing parts of this film for me is that that sense of an attempt at uh, an attempt at recreating what was. And I think that I admittedly we see that done very well in other media. I'm obviously reminded very strongly of the Fallout series where you get that very similar tone of trying to recreate the world that once was Mm. and in this in this perverse, just slightly wrong way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway, they capture they capture the band. He threatens to kill them unless she agrees to uh, do what he wants. Uh, she says yes, and the next day they put them on a bus. And they're it's clear they're high. Like he's sort of he's turned them into nice people and sort of weird and chipper and don't worry, be happy sort of people, and sends them back to Ohm to Ohm Town. And here's the neat thing: we don't actually get to see the concert at uh, Carnegie Hall. Yeah. But we get to see news reports of the fact that it blew up. KIX morning news update. Mark's promise to rewrite rock history was prematurely and tragically interrupted last night when an overwhelming power surge totally destroyed Carnegie Hall and blacked out the entire city. Survivors describe the destruction as evil, spooky, and wow, bad karma man. It literally destroyed the building. The concert destroyed the building. You know, the first time I watched this, I wasn't sure how i felt about that choice the choice of just oh tried and didn't work because it feels like such a monumentous moment it's Mm -hmm. it's very much a a potential anticlimax but felt like a wasted attempt at the first time i saw it you know i think it would pay off more if they had made more of a spectacle of the second attempt the one in hometown Mm. because that one's kind of boring you know we'll get to the concert in hometown in a second but had that been more interesting I think the fact that they simply don't show it to you this time, uh, it falls flat. But I like mm. how Mock is sitting there and it's clear he's exhausted and he's taken off his wig. And he looks like shit. And he asks the computer what happened. And he said, the New York power grid couldn't handle what you needed. You need more power. Go to go back to Ohmtown, which, you know, as we remember, has this really weird power plant, which I don't think they ever explain. No, it's just a powerful power plant. They don't yeah. give us a reason in world. So they fly back. and. While they're flying back, there's the scene you talked about where Mock is high as hell. On a, like We see him light the marijuana or whatever it is and smoke mm. it. And in the meantime, one of the, the brothers is watching a kid's show, which is very crude and a little creepy looking, called Uncle Mikey. Yeah, I, I just feel like this had so much potential. This is a scene where we've got a character of childlike innocence questioning the very nature of everything that his brothers his father figure everyone is is doing around him because uncle and, mikey has said don't be evil yeah uh, that's as simple as that the, the whole uncle mikey cartoon is do you know the difference between good and evil this guy's doing bad as a man shoots a cow in a face with a cannon yeah um that you've got this really interesting dialogue with mock where he's got this nihilistic view of the world and nothing is really right or really wrong. All yep. that there is, is ambition and motive. Um, and I think that that lends itself to this world so much more. And if we had gotten to spend more time with mm-hmm. like just on the airship with mock and I think his, his name is like sleazy. It's Slimo? one of the, yeah, it's one yeah. of the triplets. Yeah. Yeah, one of this triplet and Angel, I I think that we could have developed out the character of Mock and his motivations and so much else that's happening that would Absolutely. have contextualized this movie so much more and made it Absolutely. so much better. But they pissed it away by making him so high that he just spouts bullshit. Mock. Well, I mean, like, even if he's that ridiculously high that he is just spouting off this nonsense, like, at least he's got an ethical code or a moral code or whatever you want to call it um he knows why he's doing what he's doing it's not just he's doing it because yeah it's it's uh well he's he knows what he wants he knows why he wants it Mm -hmm. um the next scene first off the shot is incredible like the sort of looking down he's in the nose of the airship and the nose of the airship has it's all glass so we can see the land underneath it and this is like this massive hall with this, this, you know, these cushions and this huge couch. And then further away is this full on grand piano where Angel is sort of plinking away at the keys because what else is she going to do? She's a hostage. And they have this huge argument where she doesn't want to do it and he fucking flips out on her. You're a very 
Clever girl. I've enjoyed your little game, but tonight the game is mine. You'll never see that demon. I'm the one with the voice, and I'm not going to sing. Shut up. And without me, Shut you're up. nothing. You're Shut a god, Mark. Shut up. up. What? <clears throat> no hocus pocus. You will see. Because this is all he has left. It's clear. You know, we haven't really talked a lot about this, but Mock is sort of this, he's this past his prime older rock dude who knows people don't care about him anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And the funny thing is, is that it's not that his concert had three people in it. It's that it wasn't 100% sold out. And that has bothered him. And it's his, he's ego driven by this one small thing and he's willing to destroy the world to show those people see just because i only sold out 99.9 percent doesn't mean i'm falling but when you see him in this scene he's come down off his high he looks like shit uh but he's managed to put on another wig this long black thing but he looks like garbage and just the very idea that angel will say no to him just he flies into this violent rage and you will do what i say you will you will sing and it's you know, he's meant to look fierce and, and ragey, but he looks pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sad and, and broken and lashing out at everything around him. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of the scene at the end of Rise of Skywalker where the, the Emperor is so close to victory and he never seems pathetic. No. He, like, he always seems angry, but he always seems like an honest-to-God villain. Uh, I mean, I'm not scared of him because I'm, you know, 45 years old, but... Uh, he always seemed real. Whereas this guy seems like a loser. Yeah. Like he's just this rage. He's just this big man child. In the meantime, we find out there's going to be a concert at the power plant and the, uh, Omar and the band are back in Mylar singing some happy go lucky song. And I forget how, but they snap out of their, their stupor. There's and a they power re- outage. Is that what it is? Surge or something. Right, right, right. And, uh, they wander off into the streets and they see the poster and they realize, you know, Mock is, uh, you know, Mock's doing this thing. And look, there's Angel. She's going to sing as well. And we go to the concert and it's, I mean, it's in a power plant, but it's clear there's a huge audience there. And she's sort of tied up and she's got this 1980s heavy metal toga that hides just enough not to be restricted. Yeah. Like, like her boobs are bubbling out the sides and I mean, it's good looking. It's a good looking costume. It's a neat design. Yeah. It's very it's, much uh, skull Island sacrificed Kong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thing. And it's so eighties. It's so eighties yeah. heavy metal. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the floor opens up this, and it's interesting. They didn't go with a pentagram. They went with a star, just a yeah. normal star. And I think it's probably because the animators were told, you're not putting a pentagram in there, even though they talk about devil and hexes and summoning Satan and a demon and all that shit. Mm-hmm. I think they probably said, we put this hexagram in here. We're never getting this movie shown. Yeah. Because this is just after the actual honest to God, satanic panic in the States and Canada. And so the rock concert starts. And the idea is that her voice will summon this thing. And it does. And did you notice that the animation looks just like the demon from the end of Highlander? Yes, actually, I did. That was one thing that I wanted to wanted to note. It felt very much like a callback to that same animation style, and I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's the heavy metal album cover art. Mm-hmm. It's that style, and it was a brilliant choice. It really, really was. I thought it was great. And so the demon sort of comes out through this this star, which sort of appears in the floor. That's the portal. Yeah, and... well, they, they shoot a bunch of lasers to create the portal, to yeah, create the star right. on the ground. As it's coming up, they even make the choice to have this thing like hurling aborted fetuses out of its mouth as it flies up from hell. Oh, yeah, that, I, I was watching that going, oh, that there's no way they didn't do that to piss off the Christian. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, this, this movie was a, a declaration of culture war. Truly it was mm-hmm. against the pearl-clutching mothers of America and the Jerry Falwell, Falwells of, you know, it is aimed, that's a middle finger directly in their face. It's hard not to respect that. Mm-hmm. They knew what they were going for and they went for it. Uh, but in the meantime, Angel decides, she, like she says it, if I sung them in, I can sing them out. Yeah. And it's funny because at one point, we missed this, it's an interesting conversation between the AI and mock where she says there is a way to defeat this thing and he says what and he says a voice that can send it back to where it came from but it doesn't exist and he says so there is no voice and she says there is no there is no one 
And she yeah. emphasizes it weirdly. And if you're not paying attention, what you don't realize she means is not that there's no one, that there's no one person. But lo and behold, there are two people who can do it. And that's when Omar shows up and starts singing her song with her. And together they send this thing back to hell and mock with him. Yeah. And the funny thing is in the middle of this big battle versus this scary monster and a fight with mocks people, because how is it that mock wound up in that portal? The thug, the triplet who's into uncle Mikey throws him in there. Like Vader throwing the emperor into the shaft oh. for return of the Jedi. No, no. Um, the, the thug that's into uncle Mikey sacrifices himself right. to save Dizzy and stretch. That's right. He steps, up getting he steps, for it. that's right. He steps in the way and says, why did you do it? And he says, for Uncle Mikey. That's yeah. right. Then the brother does the Vader thing and throws yeah. him in. And uh, yeah. And throughout this whole big battle for the soul of the universe, the audience watches and they think it's part of the show. Yeah. And it ends with Mylar, who somehow wound up there. That's right. He's called in to be the MC. Mm -hmm. Essentially saying, and here's our new band. Like, this guy doesn't miss, this slime bag doesn't miss a beat. Yeah. You know, he, he's watched the battle for the soul of the earth. And what does he do? He gets a promotional gig out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, I'm, I'm always reminded of this, uh, this character that a specific teacher of mine used to, used to reference on occasion. He was my band teacher. And it was um, the, the MC at Larry's Lizard Lounge, where the beat never stops. And it was just... That was the the joke. Yeah, it was just know, always the, on. Yeah, I know that. I know that uh, that caricature. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that's kind of the film. Uh, yeah, and like I said, as much as we rag on this film, I I have no trouble recommending it as long as you're in a forgiving mood, because its deficiencies are mostly production related. They're not vision related. Like the, the acting isn't that great. The scripting can be problematic, but it looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I don't like the character design, but I love the world design. I love the world building. I don't mind the music. It is what it is. It's a product of its time. Yeah. Could be worse. Could have been made in the 90s. Then it would have been all angsty shit. Um, and uh, honest to God, I want to see this remade live action. I really do. <laughs> I, I really, really do with someone like, uh, I want to see uh, Russell Crowe as Mock. Russell Crowe as Mock. That, yeah. that would be a casting choice. I want to see yeah. Russell Crowe as Mock. Uh, because he's got that angry look to that, that angry fierceness to him. I think you could pull it off. Yeah, probably. But, uh, so when all is said and done, what do you think of it? Oh man, all said and done. It's, it's certainly a unique movie. You're not going to find much else that kind of grabs you in the same way that rock and rule does. It's, um, but is that like grab you like a guy with a knife about to kill you in an 80s slasher <laughs> film or grabs you and holds your heart because you love it? No, it's it's definitely not grabs you and holds your hearts because you love it. It's 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 compelling to watch, you know, even even with its deficiencies. And it's one of it's one of those artistic visions where you really need to respect the artist for what they wanted to convey and what they wanted to do here. Yeah, the the character design, it's very much it, it doesn't fit with the world design. The characters in the world seem to just have this slate offset to them mm -hmm. um the the singing is not great the scripting is not great. i mean the script the singing is okay for the most part but yeah like some of the anyways i've been over that the the scripting is not awesome there's lots of points where you just don't really care about what's happening but for something to just sit down and watch and try and appreciate a sort of an art house film mm -hmm. i think that this fits the bill entirely yeah yeah it's it's worth watching once i guess is the best way to put it you're not going to run it and buy it you're not oh, no. going to uh you're not going to go looking for the soundtrack i mean maybe you will but it's just watch it once and appreciate it as uh, an artifact of its an era of its era it's a, it's clearly a reaction to as i said the pearl clutching mothers of america mm -hmm. and the satanic panic and you know the the people sneering about video games and the evil influences of rock and roll music i like that it's got that social awareness without constantly beating over the head with it it's just sort of there and move on yeah uh, and for a, a, a fairly unique world a post-apocalyptic world it's it's it does that it, it, it's it's worth watching do you know what this really reminds me of mm. 
the uh, musical production based on the music of Queen called We Will Rock You. I've never actually seen it, to be honest, but uh... the the entire conceit of that musical is that society collapsed and tries to rebuild itself in this technocratic um, dystopia. But there's a, a group of people who find basically the last vestiges of uh, Rolling Stone magazine and rebuild themselves off of that. Oh, and everything is like the main character is trying to find Brian May's guitar, who is the, the guitarist for Queen. Yeah. Um, and a PhD in astrophysics, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, Brian carry on. He's yeah. a genius. Um, yeah. But it's it's even got that same sense of humor where what like it's always the same character who's played by a giant of a man he's got to be huge to make the joke work because everybody's mm-hmm. saying their names oh my name is scaramouche my name is uh billy joel and then this big massive dude stands up and my name is britney spears the true <laughs> powerhouse of the 2000s oh my god because just everything is just slightly twisted and and the words don't line up and they don't make sense but they try and use these artifacts to rebuild themselves and it's watch that. It, it is it's it's not a triumphant thing it's it's very much full of its own conceits and, and, and it's not super logical but it's fun to watch okay i'll give that a shot so yeah um there it is i mean it's rock and roll it is what it is uh from nirvana entertainment which is you know this this canadian company they did something different and I think they sort of pulled it off and you know, it is what it is and yeah, go watch it. So I think there it is. I think that's about it. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. 